My name is Stacy Boardman. I attended the 10th Avenue North concert in November on Saturday night and decided to try the church out on Sunday with my fiance and my sister. Before I received Christ, my life was full of doubt and depression. I was always worried about what my peers thought of me, and I was a cutter all throughout middle and high school. I didn't have any direction. I received Christ in 2004 at an Indiana Youth Convention in Indianapolis. Supportive people surrounded me from my youth group and my sister. I knew I needed to make a change in my life. I had always believed in God, but I did not receive him until I was a freshman in high school. When I received Christ, I felt like I had guidance and the rules to follow. However, I still strayed away from the church life because I never found a place that I felt like I belonged. In 2011, my mom was diagnosed with stage four cancer, and I began to have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with God again, praying that she would get better and win the fight. After I lost her in April, I realized that I had to find a way to deal with the grief and not hold anger towards God. The last days of her life, my mom talked of seeing a huge feast from her hospice bed, and she said she would go with the snow. It was April, so we had no idea what that meant. On April 14, 2014, she passed away at 11.30 p.m., and that minute, it began snowing. God reassured me that she would be okay and since then I have been determined to keep God in first place in my life. I want to be baptized now because as a baby I was not aware of the promise my parents were making for me. However, now as an adult, I want to start a new relationship with God. I want to be a symbol of God's love to everyone I meet and the teenagers that I teach in my classroom. I feel that by being baptized, I will be making the ultimate commitment to God. Hello, my name is Teresa Carmichael. Four years ago, my friend Angela Still invited my daughter and I to come to Emmanuel for a Christmas service. At that time, I needed to find something in my life that would give me hope and something for us to believe in, so we attended. I went to church when I was younger. However, I just went through the motions because my dad made us go. I never really retained anything from it that I can remember except for relationships with my friends. As I got into my 20s, I started living a life of drinking and doing drugs and in and out of failed relationships, making bad decisions at every turn. I can remember lying in bed one night when I was in my late 20s, praying to God that if he was real, to please take me away from this life. I didn't want to do it anymore. I had given up. When I was 27, God answered that prayer when I cried out. He gave me a new job, and shortly thereafter, I got pregnant with my daughter. With my daughter, I knew I needed God. I knew I needed him to be a responsible adult and mother, so I began to call out to him for help and guidance. Although I stopped doing the drinking, drugs, and partying all the time, I continued to be in and out of failed relationships over and over, always looking for love from others instead of looking for the love that God has for me. I was always trying to fix someone that I was always trying to find someone that I thought I could fix when all along it was God that was trying to transform me. I knew that I needed something else to believe in, something else to give my daughter and myself hope. We went to the Christmas service and Danny said the salvation prayer. I felt the tugging in my heart and as the tears poured out, I prayed to receive Christ. At the end, he asked for anyone who prayed to raise their hand. As I raised my hand, I looked over and my daughter was also raising her hand. My life has forever been changed. Four years ago, I surrendered to God that day. I no longer look for love in all the wrong places, but I relish in the love of Christ. I no longer look to fix someone. Instead, I allow God to continue to transform my life for his purpose, for his glory. I realized in these past four years that all I ever needed was his love. I do not go a day without beginning and ending my day in prayer. I pray all day throughout the day. I pray without ceasing. I read the word daily. I play Christian music nonstop. I cannot get enough love of our father and our son that they have for all of our children, all of their children. I am living testimony that we should never not need God. It is through our trials and tribulations that we draw closer to him. I want to be baptized in front of the congregation and share my story in hopes that others, even if just one, is touched by my stories and it may offer them hope and encouragement because life without Christ is no life at all. Morning. My name is Greg McBride. 
and my wife and children had relentlessly invited me to attend Emmanuel with them for over five years. I'm very thankful they were relentless in trying to get me here. Before coming here and trusting Christ, I was terribly lost, although I didn't realize it at the time. I'd spent six to seven years binge drinking most weekends and living the way I wanted to. After I lost my job, I continued to behave the same way, <clears throat> even though the money was tighter. I'd put an enormous strain on my, my wife and children. March 22nd, 2014, it all changed. While drinking and arguing with my wife, I left my anger take over and I put my hands on her. I was arrested and it was almost two days later I realized I'm not very good at controlling my life and there must be a better way. I had to surrender. I called and begged and pleaded to be forgiven and I promised to change. Isn't that what we always do when we hit bottom? And when I brought up going to church as a family, I'm not sure she believed me, but by grace she agreed. <clears throat> it was my second service, April 5th, 2014, that I trusted Christ as my savior. I'd spent my entire life not really knowing him, and sadly it took me being arrested to realize I'm not in charge and I'm clueless. A knucklehead is a good way to define me. I'd watched some podcasts of Danny speaking over the years that my family's been at Emmanuel, and I was intrigued by him and what he had to say. He's a pretty good speaker. But I hadn't truly heard his message. I didn't have the words to explain it then, but I can tell you now that our Redeemer moved inside me and I said the prayer as clumsy and awkward as it was. Since trusting Christ, I'm more calm, peaceful, and have a lot more days that are full of joy. Perfect, no. But I can tell you I've never felt like this before, ever. I've started attending services regular with my family. I actually haven't missed one since we started going. And I've been volunteering my time on, with the weekend service team. I want to be baptized today to display that I'm choosing to follow Christ with my heart and life unconditionally. I'm ready to show I've been washed of the old life and have begun a new and cleansed life in Christ. Hi, everyone. My name is Samantha Plant, and my life before receiving Christ was full of anxiety, jealousy, fear, sadness, and anger. I grew up in a home full of domestic abuse and with a parent that placed drugs and alcohol before us children. I truly didn't feel worthy of a relationship with God. And, and I developed the belief that as long as I went through life as a good person, um, someone that did no harm to others or who even helped others, that I would earn my way into heaven. One weekend, um, my boyfriend, Stephen, randomly felt a tug on his heart from God to attend church. At this point in our relationship, we had been together for four and a half years and never even once prior to this weekend mentioned God's name. So as you can imagine, when he invited me to come to church with him that morning, I was kind of caught off guard. And unfortunately, I turned him down that weekend. My thought process at that time when he extended the invite was that I didn't need God to be a good person. I didn't need church to be a good person. And so I just didn't go. The next day was actually the first day of, um, and the start of my experience through the IU Physician Assistant Master's Program. Um, within that first week, I had a professor that said to me, she made a comment that I'll never forget. She said, you will all one day, one day be healthcare providers who will be helping others achieve a healthy lifestyle. She said, never forget that health includes both, or all three, body, mind, and spirit. It was at that time that I had realized that I wasn't nurturing the spiritual aspect of my health. And so that stuck with me, and it's something that has kind of guided me through everything. Um, the following weekend, thankfully, Stephen extended another invite and invited me to Emmanuel again. I accepted his invite and haven't looked back. After a few weeks of attending Emmanuel, I was overwhelmed by God's presence, and it was at that time that I accepted God into my life and asked him to be my savior. Since accepting Christ, I am overwhelmed with, God, with his love, grace, and mercy on a daily basis. The past years kind of um, provided some obstacles and hardships, and with God's presence, uh, it's allowed, he's allowed me to experience a joy and um, a peace that's beyond understanding. I want to be baptized today because I want to obey our Lord while dying to my old self and making a commitment to my new life. 
I would also like to show that I believe Jesus' blood has washed me of my sin. And last but not least, I would like to make a public pledge that I will live and grow with Christ as my Savior. And I would like all of you who are in attendance today to hold me accountable for my future, my future actions. My name is Maddie Koltoff, and my aunt and uncle, Chris and Tracy Vance, asked me to come to Emmanuel last year on Easter. Before I accepted Christ, I had always believed in him, but I never put my faith in him or thought about him on a day-to-day -day basis. My freshman year of high school, I met my best friend, Lauren Weidman. She, she, always asked, she always asked me to go to church with her. With her and her family, I went a few times, but I gave up. There's no meaning or purpose to my life. I was selfish and only looking out for myself. I got caught up in the crowd and just tried to please my friends and people around me. I didn't treat my parents the way I should have when really they were the only ones there for me. I received Christ during Easter last service, the day I visited with my aunt and uncle. There was something different about Emmanuel. I didn't feel awkward or out of place like I did with Lauren. When Danny asked everyone who hadn't accepted Christ to do so, at the end of the sermon, I felt God talking to me and pulling at my heart. That day I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I remember going home after church and going straight into my room to read the one year New Testament. I remember crying because I never thought I would have a close relationship with God. Since trusting Christ, I try to live Christ-like every day. I find myself I find myself constantly overwhelmed by his love and mercy. I do not live selfishly anymore or get easily mad or upset. I have a better relationship with my parents and friends. I'm not anxious about the future and what it holds. I want people who don't know God to know them from knowing me. I want to lead as many, I want to lead as many friends as I can to Christ because I know how much their life can change for the better like mine did. Now I'm in college and continue to drive home every Sunday by myself to come to Emmanuel, and now I'm getting baptized. I want to leave my old, selfish, meaningless self in the past. I want everyone to know that I'm officially following Jesus Christ for the rest of my life. My name is Sarah Patterson. After I graduated college in May, I wanted to find a church nearby with my mom. I had heard so many great things about Emmanuel from my friends who attend here that I, we came once and we loved it. Before accepting Christ in my life, I went to church fairly regularly. I've always believed in God, but I never knew or understood what it was like to have a relationship with him. My dad passed away in July 2010. I still believed in God, but I went through a lot of phases of being upset and angry with him. I tried filling the void with success in school or in soccer. My identity was always found in my grades or in my sports. My sister accepted Christ when she was in college. I watched her life change and I watched her find happiness, and I knew I wanted that too. In the spring of 2012, I went to my sister's church and listened to a guest speaker. At the end, the pastor was praying and asked if anyone felt that they wanted to know Christ better to come forward. My brother-in-law sat me down and we prayed that night and I fully accepted Christ into my life. And since that day of accepting Christ, I started to understand what it was like to have a relationship with God. My heavy heart from losing my dad was filled with God's love and mercy. What I learned was I lost my dad, but I gained my heavenly father. The longing to have an identity was found in knowing that God loves me and will always love me no matter what. My heart is full as I look around and see all the blessings I have. I started coming to Emmanuel this past summer with my mom. We both love it, and not, and not until on coming, my mom accepted Christ. And since then, God has shown me so much more. I wish to be baptized to show I have trusted Christ with my life, and as a reminder that no matter what happens in life, I will follow Christ with all my heart. My name is Reese Johnson. My journey started the day I was born. My family always lived with Jesus in mind. They taught me from an early age that Jesus was important and that everyone, including me, needed Jesus. When I was in third grade, I went to a church camp. 
It was there when I committed my life to Jesus Christ. I knew I needed him in my life. From that day on, I tried to live my life the way Jesus would want me to live. I have set a goal to spread the love of Jesus to other kids I meet at school. I know it is the most important decision that they will ever make, and I want to help them find Jesus. I realize God wants, me, wants to use me to reach my friends for him. Since coming to Emmanuel in 2010 and learning more and more through the middle school ministry about becoming a leader and follower of Jesus, I know baptism is my next step. My small group leader, Cassandra Earhart, has helped me realize this and has become a huge impact in my life through discipleship. She has helped me become a closer follower of Christ. For three years now, she has been a great mentor to me and has helped me grow as a Christian. I want to be baptized today because God wants me to take this decision I made inwardly to follow him and express it outwardly. I want my friends and family to hold me accountable. Today I am choosing to commit my life to following Jesus' example in baptism and make it known that I want to be his hands and feet. I want people to see his love through me. Hi, I'm Alexis. So long story short, my biological dad was a mess, and basically I haven't seen him since I was one or two. My mother raised me the first few years as a single mom, and she did a great job. Even working three jobs at one point. Then she met my dad. Then she met my dad, Steve Rouse, and they got married in 2003, and then out came my baby brother, Ty, in February of 2005. That same year, I accepted Christ and got baptized also. I still had my mom's maiden name. Then third grade came, and my dad adopted me. Both of my parents are strong Christians, so I was one of those kids that went to church every Sunday, and I knew right from wrong, but nothing ever really clicked with me. In the first two years of junior high, I had an incredibly low self-esteem, and I struggled with depression. All I ever thought about was the way that I looked. I would cry every single night silently in my room. I would self-harm, and at one point, I felt I was really close to committing suicide. One day in seventh grade, I was singing the national anthem at a UND basketball game, and I hadn't worn long sleeves, so my mom saw the cuts on one of my arms. I'm incredibly thankful now that she noticed it, or else I would have just gotten worse and worse and possibly not even be living right now. But at the time, I was so aggravated with myself for not hiding the cuts. I never wanted my mom or anyone to find out. I was sent to a counselor. I barely opened up to her, and I hated going there each week. But my brain wasn't working correctly. It was telling me how ugly I was every single day. Satan had a grip on my thoughts, and I couldn't think properly. Then I was sent to a Christian camp over the summer. I didn't want to go. I felt like I wasn't good enough to go to a Christian camp, so I basically had to be forced to even get on the bus that drove us there. But that's when my heart was moved. I remember during a worship, a worship session the second or third night, I heard the song Beautiful Things for the first time. All this pain, I wonder if I'll ever find my way. I wonder if my life could really change at all. All this earth, could all that is lost ever be found? Could a garden come up from this ground at all? You make beautiful things. You make beautiful things out of the dust. You make beautiful things. You make beautiful things out of us. Each word touched my heart and spoke to exactly what I was struggling with. I rededicated my life to Christ that week, and I haven't looked back since. That was the summer of 2013, going into eighth grade. I'm so much happier. Just little things like leaving my house without makeup. I can do that now. Now I can go to school with a messy bun and minimal makeup and feel fine about myself. I still have insecurities, but they're not to an extreme like they used to be. I'm being baptized today because it actually means something to me now. I understand the concept of baptism, whereas when I was five or six, I didn't really know what baptism really symbolized. I'm not, I'm not disregarding the prayer I prayed when I was that age, but I still had battles, and even after my personal battles with my thoughts, God loves me so, and he's making something beautiful out of my life. My name is Kelly Hewitt. For the four years ago, my best friend Amy kept begging and begging me to come to Emmanuel with her. 
I continued to tell her no. Finally, I told my husband we were going to go so she'd get off my back. During the service, listening to Danny, I leaned over and asked her if he told him I was coming because I felt like he was talking directly to me. I have, and of course, she said no. I have never left church feeling as inspired as I was that day. From that day forward, I was hooked on Emmanuel. Before I accepted Christ, I always felt that I was a good person and cared for people on the outside. But on the inside, I was a wreck. I've always doubted myself and thought of myself as ugly and not good enough. I felt like if I were skinny and pretty, then I would be accepted and valued. I struggled off and on with diets and diet pills throughout college and until I had children. It wasn't until after I had kids that my lack of self-worth turned into a full-blown eating disorder. The skinnier I got, the more people complimented my looks, the more attention I received, and it seemed like it just confirmed what I always felt about myself, that I was worthless and ugly before. The only problem was that I hated myself. I was lying to my husband and friends. I told them that while I was training for a marathon and continuing to training, other than that, that that's where all the weight was going. I was going out partying and making the wrong kind of friends because my true friends were starting to figure out. I couldn't stop and I didn't want to stop because I didn't want to gain the weight. I didn't want to be the girl I was before. I finally came clean and thought that would be it, that I'd be cured, but that didn't happen. I just found ways to lie and be sneaky. I was fighting with my husband and I truly hated myself. I put blame on everyone except for the person that needed the blame, which was me. Summer of 2011, my life hit rock bottom when my husband and I almost got divorced. It's like Danny said the first week of the START series. The condition of your heart determines the quality of your life. Well, I had hate, anger, and a lot of hurt in my heart, and my quality of life was awful. I trusted Christ in September of 2011. I'd gone out running at Southeast Way Park to try and figure out what I was going to do with my life and how I was going to dig myself out of this hole. When I was running, it started pouring down rain. And I remember just bursting out in tears, dropping to my knees, and looking up. And I just told God that I couldn't do it anymore by myself, that I needed him in my life. And that day forward, I put my whole faith and trust in Christ. I wish I could say that immediately things were perfect, but that's not how it happened. I can say that I just had this peace in my heart that everything was going to get better. And it was a struggle at first. It seemed like I would take one step forward and then take two steps back. And I felt like a failure at times, but I kept reminding myself that God loves me. He sees what I'm trying to do, and he will never leave me. It took a lot of rebuilding trust, a lot of faith that God knew what was best for me, a lot of Bible studies to find myself, praying when I felt weak, and turning toward loved ones to support me, to get me to where I am today. I wish to be baptized because I'm ready to put away who I used to be. I'm not that girl anymore, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made by God. I'm a girl who loves her husband, loves her family, loves God, and finally loves herself. My name is Kirby Cochran. Several weeks ago, a couple of close friends of mine and coworkers, Steve Edwards and Bob Sexton, invited my wife and I to Emmanuel. At a time we were looking for a church and needed to attend, it was perfect timing, so we accepted. Before receiving Christ, I had a deep sense that something was missing. I seemed to be thinking and asking why quite often. I made some bad decisions, both personally and financially. And then I'd been dealt with a life-threatening illness. I began to question my faith. I had great doubts and great fears. I was not only angry, I was frustrated that this illness had threatened not only my life, but my family. For the past two to three years, I've lived with this doubt and fear, while at the same time, learning to try and trust God and put my faith in Him. I prayed constantly, I prayed to myself. 
I prayed to have peace of mind and for him to provide the life that I needed and give me direction. It was during this awful time period, while I waited for a liver transplant, that my journey to him was unfolding. I received a transplant two years ago on January 9th, just a few days prior to today. This would be the day that I needed God more than ever. The past few years has been quite a trying and challenging journey. And as I said, again in October, I was asked several times by the two good friends and co-workers to attend the manual, and I felt I needed to go. I felt I needed to let go and let God. I needed to believe. I had to ask for forgiveness, and I had to ask for understanding. We began attending, and then it happened. It was Sunday, November 8th, and Pastor Danny had just given one of the most amazing sermons I'd ever attended in my life. Now, at the end of that sermon, as he always does, Pastor Danny gave us the opportunity to call on God. And that night, there was no question in my mind that I'd be asking Jesus for forgiveness and to come into my life. I recall asking, please, Jesus, take control of my life. Come into my life. I ask him to forgive my sins and to be my Savior. It was on that day that I knew I'd just received Jesus into my life. And since that day, I felt so humbled and comforted. I feel the urge to follow Christ and be more aware of my actions both spiritually and physically. I'm reading my one-year Bible, and my wife and I have just begun starting point. I feel so much more at peace with my life, and I look forward to my growth in Christ. I wish to be baptized today to show my commitment to the new life as a Christ follower by showing respect for Christ and his sacrifice for me in this public ceremony. I hope that I may have encouraged some of you here today in your journey with Christ and your journey to him. If I can't preach after some worship and some stories like that, I've got some issues, don't you think? Can we give God a hand for what he's done? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I love quotes, so I'll just kind of go with a few that have been circling in my mind. You know, Mark Twain said, the secret to getting ahead is getting started. And uh, it was Zig Ziglar who said, you don't have to be great to get started, but you have to start in order to become great. And then, of course, there's Wayne Gretzky who said, you miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. And uh, don't you just love a good quote? I mean, it just gets me all kinds of motivated. Anybody else? It's, I'm fired up. You know, we are in a series right now called Start. And what we've said in this series is that during this time of the year, most people want to make some changes in their life. They want to, you know, maybe lose 20 pounds or kick a bad habit or, you know, start something, start a new business. Or, you know, this, it's a great time of the year. It's a fresh start. It's a clean slate. And most people try to make some of those significant changes in their life. And what we said two weeks ago, if you're a guest with us here today, is that if you want to change your life, you've got to start with yourself. In other words, you gotta, you got to start with your own heart. In other words, the condition of our life is really a reflection of the quality of our heart. You know, King Solomon said, guard your heart because everything that we do comes from our heart. And so that was week one. If you missed it, man, you can catch it on our podcast. We've got a church app. You know, you can go to the app store and, and just type in a manual and our app will come up. And you can watch the sermons there. And then last week we talked about starting early. Did you guys enjoy that? Starting early. Because when you start early in your life making great decisions in key areas of your life, like your marriage or your money or your parenting or your health or, or some other area, you, you, you leverage time. You get time on your side and there's a compounding effect in your life of awesomeness. We talked about, we talked about a, a giant pile of awesomeness. If you start early in your life, it just accumulates and accumulates and accumulates, whether it's trust in a relationship or money in a 401k or something else. It just, when you get time on your side, man, you get that, that, that compounding effect. And so if you missed last week and you want to be inspired, go back and watch that podcast. I kind of inspired myself when I was giving that talk last week. A little bit of caffeine helped as well. But anyway, so what we're doing is talking today about this idea of start. We're going to look at it from a different angle today. I want to talk to you today about starting over. Starting over over, okay? Now, 
Here, it's real simple. Uh, Les Brown has got a great quote. I love this quote. He says, when you fall down, make sure you land on your back because if you can see up, you can get up. Now, I love that one. I love that one. So you want to write this down. This is a good one. Ready? I can't say it like he does because, you know, have you ever heard Les Brown? He just, says it, he just says it like Les Brown says it. He says, when you fall down, you better make sure you land on your back because if you can see up, you can get up. There you go. So, and I love that idea because the reality is that every single one of us are going to fall down. I love what Winston Churchill said. He said, success is going from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm. Do you agree with this? <laughs> That's true success. And so the, 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 the importance of knowing how to start over is incredible because every single one of us fall. Starting over is vital because every single one of us fall in life. We fail. We, 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 we don't make it. We, we fall off the wagon when it comes to a diet or we don't follow through in the exercise program or we try to start a business and it doesn't work out. Many of us have been divorced. You know, we start a marriage and it doesn't work out. And, and, and in life in general, failure is par for the course. We're going to fail in some of us. Some of us failed in college. Some of us failed a class. Some of us failed as a parent. Whatever. That's part of what we do. That's the human experience. We don't succeed seed at every single thing we do. So let's plan on failing, not that we should plan on failing, but we should plan, we should actually factor it into our lives so that we can learn how to start over. Now I can go a hundred different directions with this. I could go like, okay, how do you start over in your marriage or how do you start over in your health and fitness or how do you start over with your finances? I could go all different directions with this. I want to focus today. I want to bring it down to how do we start over with God? I want to talk about starting over with God today. And I feel like an expert in this area. Now, I don't claim expertise hardly ever. No, in fact, never. I've never said I'm an expert about anything uh, uh, from this platform. But it, when it comes to starting over with God, I feel like an expert. You want to know why? Because I'm a sinner. <laughs> and I, I, I fall short of God's standards all the time. So I've, over the years, I've gotten really good at starting over with God. I've had to, okay? So I'm going to speak to you today from experience. I'm going to show you a couple of things today that they're not theory. They're not just some good ideas. But it's stuff that I do in my life because I'm an expert at starting over with God. And what makes me an expert is that I'm a really good sinner. Okay, so let's talk about this today. How, tell me if you've ever had this experience. You put your faith in Christ, like I did. You know, I, I did it when I was like eight, 17 and a half, 18 years old. And, and man, I felt it. I felt something, you know, just change inside of me, like a joy or a peace. Or, you know, I, I, at that time, I couldn't even really understand. I just knew something was different. Anybody ever had that experience? And for, it's some, for some people, it's stronger than others. But for me, it was, it was there, and I knew it, and I, I was excited about it. And I noticed some changes in my life. You know, I noticed that, that I had some different feelings about things that I was doing that weren't so you know, right? And so I was like, had some guilt and some conviction. And so I started to change a little bit. And, and, and things really did look different in my life. Okay. But as time went on, as I, as I progressed through the Christian life, maybe two years, maybe three years in, I noticed, I noticed that deep down in my heart, you know, like under the rocks and way down deep in the heart, there wasn't really a uh, 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 deep change going on. I was still really a selfish person. I still had lots of pride. I still was quick to get angry. Am I talking about you today? <laughs> I, I, I was still worried. I, was still, I still had anxiety in my life. I still had fear in my life. Now, I had shaven off some of the, you know, the obvious sins. Like, you know, I would had a problem, you know, drinking too much as a high school student. Well, okay, that one was pretty simple for me. But the deeper ones in the heart were very difficult. And so I began to get discouraged, and I began to get down on myself, and I thought, man, I should be changing. I should be different. Man, I'm two years into this. I was at a Christian college. I was at Liberty University, and, and, and I was still struggling with some of these issues in my life that weren't changing. And if, you were the, if you're there right now, or if you've been there, and you will, you will be there if you're not, I want you to know you're not alone. I want to show you a passage today that, that is written by, I think, one of the greatest Christians, if not the greatest Christian of all time, other than Jesus, of course, right? His name was Paul. I want you to listen to what he said about his struggle in Romans chapter 7. Listen to this. Paul said this, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. <laughs> okay? Okay, anybody ever feel that way before? He, he says, instead, I do what I hate. He continues. Listen, listen to the struggle. He says, I want to do what is right, but I can't. You ever feel that way? You just feel like you don't have any power. You know the right thing to do, but you, but you don't feel like you have the power to do it. Look what Paul continues in verse 19. He says this, I want to do what is good, but I don't. Mm. Anyone? 
Feel that way? Have that experience? I want to do what is right, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. (laughs) I feel like this tension describes my life. I know the right thing to do, and I don't do it. I know the wrong thing that that I shouldn't do, I end up doing it. There's a struggle going on inside of us. If you're a Christ follower today, it's the struggle between the flesh and the spirit. And and Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 2, he calls it a war. There's a war going on inside of us. See, how you deal with this as a Christ follower, oh, it's so important. How do you deal with this tension of, of when you blow it, when you sin, when you fail, when you fall short of God's standards? You've got to get really good at dealing with this because it's, gonna, it's really going to predict the next two years, the next five years, the next ten years, hey, the next twenty years of your walk with God. If you don't nail this now, if you don't get this right now, it's going to affect the rest of your journey with God because the struggle, hey, hey, the struggle's not going away. Hello. Hello, anybody live long enough with Jesus now? You know the struggle is not going away. So I want to talk to you right real quick about four wrong paths to go down that I've seen that break my heart. I've even gone down some of these paths before, and they're the wrong paths to go down when you face the reality that you have failed God. Let's talk about the first one. The first one is you just drift away. You just look, you, man, I can't do it. I see what the Bible says, I hear what the preacher says, I see that, I can't do that. And so I don't feel like I'm competent, I don't feel like I can do it, so you walk away. Anybody know anybody who's ever walked away from church, walked away from Jesus? Yeah, there's just this sense that I'm not good enough, I'll never be like her, I'll never be like him, so I'm going to drift away, I'm not good enough. Wrong path to go down. Number two is they fake it. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh, uh-oh. What am I talking about? I'm talking about putting a mask on. Like you know, you know you're, do, you're not doing right, and you know there's things that you should be doing you're not doing, and, 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 but you know that good Christians don't do that stuff, and so you just kind of put on a mask, and you fake it. Anybody, anybody know anybody like this? Are you like this? This is, this is the wrong path to go down. There's no internal change. You know you're not supposed to be angry. You know you're not supposed to be lustful. You know you're not supposed to be jealous. You know you're not supposed to be materialistic and covetous. But, but, but you are, and so what do you do? You cover it up. You practice what John Ortberg calls impression management. <laughs> you, you really work on the, the outward so that other people would see what it looks like to be a really good Christian. And that's mask wearing. We did a series one time called Mask. You remember that series if you've been here for a couple of years? There's a dude that sat down here in the front row. Man, he'd always have his hands up in the air. He was like Christian t-shirts and he's just all like into it, worship, stuff like that. After that series, he said, you know what, Danny? I realized I've been wearing a mask. Peace out. He left the church. <laughs> I, hey, hey, look, I was happy for him. I, listen to me. I was happy for him. You want to know why? Because at least he stopped faking. At least he got real with himself. He said, I don't really like this stuff. I don't really believe this stuff. I'm out of here. All right? So that's the, so anyway, we fake it. Number three. Number three, we live defeated. You know anybody like this? Just, that's, this is that Christian that, 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 man, they tried and they can't do it. And they got this sin. It's just, they just walk around. They don't quit. They're still here. They're in a small group, but they just, oh, they're like the Eeyore. Remember, you know, Eeyore is like, oh, can't do it. Oh, another day. I did it again. You know, same sin over and over. It's just, okay, yeah, so we live defeated. Number four, number four. And then these are, these are the people that just abuse grace. Like, I can't do it, so I'm just going to go live like the devil. Like, where's the party at? You know what I'm saying? And then when I come, and then Sunday comes around, they come back to church and like, oh, just Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, forgive me. You know, and these are, these are the Christians that really make, uh, give all the other Christians a bad name because everybody, all the unbelievers in the community are like, dude, don't you go to church? Why are you with that girl? She's not your wife. You know, and it's just like, well, I go back, get some forgiveness. Dallas Willard calls these vampire Christians. He calls them, he calls, hey, listen, listen, some of you are vampire Christians. You, you suck some of Jesus' blood, and then you leave and go live like the devil, and then you come back and get some more blood next weekend, right? So, so listen, that's called abusing grace. You can't do that. You can't live that. That's the wrong path. That's not the right way to deal with the tension, okay? Even Paul even spoke to this. Watch this in Romans 6. I know I'm going fast. We've got to baptize some people here. But listen to this. Um, <laughs> listen, listen to what he said. He said, you can't do this. Watch. 
well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Like, hey, if, it, if, if, if his grace is deeper than the deepest ocean, let's go party, let's go sin, and then we'll just come back and get more grace. Paul says, no way, come on. Of course we shouldn't live that way. How can we who have died to sin live any longer in it? We've got a different relationship with sin now. We're dead to sin. We don't live in sin anymore. Of course you don't live that way. You don't abuse grace. Listen, those, are, those four options are the wrong paths to take. Let me show you the real option. The real option, the right option, the biblical option is to start over with God. Start over with God. Listen, in your notes there, you got to get the statement if you get nothing else. Here, here is the most powerful statement. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, you can start over with God. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, you can start over with God. Look, in, fact, in fact, I want you to repeat this with me real quick, phrase by phrase. Repeat after me. No matter what you've done. Come on, come on. No matter where you've been. You can start over with God. Look at somebody next to you right now. Let's have some fun. Come on, you know I was going there, right? No, look at somebody. Ready? Say this to them. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, you can start over with God. That's right. That's right. Listen, here's what I'm talking about. Here I'm talking about the grace of God, right? Listen, his grace is deeper than the deep. I can't even explain to you how wonderful his grace is. Anyone can start over. Right now, I want you to hear the story of a guy. He was a pastor at a church. He got himself into pornography and internet pornography and prostitution. You'd say, how could a pastor do that? Listen, people screw up. They fail. I want you to hear his story real quick of how he started over with God. Check it out. His name's Tim. Hi. Hi. My name's Tim Brooks. I've been a worship pastor in a Baptist church most of my life. Then in 2009, that came dramatically and publicly to an end when it was revealed that I had a secret sin, a secret sexual sin. When that was revealed, my wife of 30 years and two college-age kids were absolutely devastated. They had no idea. They were hurt beyond belief, embarrassed, confused, even angry. My life, as I knew it, came to a screeching halt. I call it my life crash. Well, I went into a rehab program, and I was gone for six months. And uh, when I came back home, the question was asked on a Saturday, where are we going to church? Well, I knew there was nowhere I could go to church. Uh, no church would want me. No church would welcome me. My wife said uh, to my daughter, said, tell him where we've been going to church. My daughter said, no, you tell him. My wife said, no, you tell him. Finally, my daughter said, we've been going to New Spring. Well, having been in a local church, I was one of these ministers that did not like New Spring, didn't like Perry. But I was certainly no place to barter over where we're going to church. So I said, well, New Spring it is. So we came the next day, first time I'd ever been in the building, first time I'd ever seen Perry. And during that service, I heard him refer to his own past struggle with internet pornography, which was my problem. As I sat there, tears running down my cheeks, I thought, wow, am I in the right place or what? I knew I was in a place where I could be encouraged uh, where I could be ministered to and where I could heal, and man, was I right. Um, this journey has been absolutely incredible, and here we are five years later. My marriage is healed. My relationship with my children is healed. Uh, me and my wife uh, are able to serve in the care room here on Sundays and encourage individuals with our story and even encourage other couples who are struggling in, in their marriage. At a time in my life when I didn't feel like there was any place that I could worship, any place that I could serve, I'm in a church that allows me to use my story to encourage other people. I'm in a church that um, has given new meaning to my life, uh, given me hope, and has just revolutionized my family's life. So I want to tell you again how much I appreciate your obedience to Jesus in the way that you give because it's made it possible for me to find a new life. Thank you very much. Listen to me, the church, the church is the body of Christ. The church is the place where people come who have messed up. They've broken God's laws. They've sinned. Did you hear what he said? Did you hear what he said? He thought, what church could I go to? What church would take me? Are you kidding me? This church would. This church would say, you come, you, you are a sinner? You, you broke God's laws? Come in here. This is the place. This, listen, who was Jesus hanging out with when he came here? Like, was, who was he with? Like, he, he got criticized for hanging out with the prostitutes and the sinners and the tax collectors. And they said, why does he eat with them? You know what he said? He said, listen, I didn't come for those who think they're righteous. I came for the people who are sinners. Like, that's what the church is all about. 
See, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, you can start over with God. The Apostle Paul, the one who wrote those words a few moments ago, well, he didn't write them a few minutes ago, but we showed them to you. He said, man, the things I want to do, you know, I, things I don't do, I do. The things I know I shouldn't do, I end up doing. He, all this struggle going on. That same guy had something called, a, the, the, he describes it as a thorn in his side, a thorn in his flesh. And he calls it a messenger of Satan. It was something there to, to, that the devil had in mind to stop him from being effective. But, but see, Paul didn't see it that way. He saw it as a, as a, a, a tool to, to make him humble so he wouldn't get puffed up with pride. So he had a struggle, just like you have a struggle, just like I have a struggle. But three times Paul said, hey, God, could you t- t- take this struggle away? Come on, this is killing me. I don't want to battle this. Three times he asked Jesus to take away his struggle. We don't really know what his struggle was. But he was human, just like me and just like you, so we could probably imagine. right? Listen to what God says back to Paul when he says, hey, could you take it away? He says, Paul, my grace is all you need. My grace is sufficient for you. Listen, here's the deal. My power works best in weakness. Oh. You see, what is Paul saying here? What is God saying to Paul here? He's saying, you know what you need? You need my grace. Grace is about forgiveness. It is about redemption. It's also about whatever it is you need right now. Do you need strength right now? That's his grace. Do you need courage right now? That's his grace. Do you need faith right now? That's his grace. What do you need? Do you need perseverance right now? That's his grace. My grace is all you need. Listen, listen, oftentimes we don't think, we don't think that that Christians, people who are already in, people who have already prayed the prayer, we need a lot of grace. But I, I beg to differ. Dallas Willard said it this way. He said, Christians burn grace like 747s burn jet fuel. (laughs) See, our whole life is a life of grace. Am I going to be patient with my children today? Grace. Am I going to love my wife today? Grace. Am I going to be able to to, to not, you you know, beep at the person in front of me when they cut me off on the road? Grace. Every part of my life is grace. God says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Now, what does this look like? A person who's living, saturated with the grace of God. I want to show you four things because I want to give you a target to shoot for. I'll make them quick. This person who is living, who knows how to start over with God, living by God's grace, number one, is engaged with God. Like their sin, listen, they sin, okay? But, but their sin doesn't cause them to drift away. They're, because of the grace of God, they run to God when they sin. They don't run away from him. So this person is engaged with God. They're talking with God. God is active in their life. That's, that's where you and I need to be, even though we fail every single day. So they're engaged with God. They're also authentic with people. Like, there's no pretense. Like, what you see is what you get because they know that they've already messed up, that they messed up yesterday. They're probably going to mess up tomorrow. They messed up today. And they already know that God looks down on them and sees them in Christ, and there's no condemnation and there's no judgment. So they already have peace here. So then when they go have a conversation with you or they're in a relationship with you, they don't have to cover up. Look, it's what it is. I'm already accepted here, so I can be totally authentic with other people. A person who's living in grace is is authentic with people. They're engaged with God. They're authentic with people. Number three, watch this. They're filled with joy and peace. They're filled with joy and peace. Instead of being, remember Eeyore? Remember down? Oh, man, another bad day. Sinned again. Blew it again. God's upset with me. Instead of living in defeat... The grace of God causes them to be filled with joy. They run to God, they get his forgiveness, and he fills them with his joy and peace. Listen, Jesus was the prince of what? He was the prince of, that was his name. He, he wants to give us his peace. Well, how do you do that? You, you come back to that, you come back to God every time you sin and every time you blow it. And then number four, watch this, they have, they have a touch of the divine. They have a touch of the, listen, there's something about their life that cannot be explained through human reasoning alone. There's, there's, a, there's a lightness, there's a brightness, there's, a, there's something about them. You go, you know what? I, I, just, I just see something different about that person. You know what it is? It's God being active in their life. He's actively working. And so it comes across as, whoa, you know, that person has something about them. There's, a, there's a, almost, dare I say, a glory to that person's life. Do you, do you know anybody like this? And they're, they're living in the grace of God because they, they have learned how to start over. So how do we do it? How do we do? Let's get down to rubber meets the road st- uh, stuff here. Number one, how do you start over? Well, as soon as you sin, I'm talking about as soon as you sin, as soon as you blow it, you run straight to God and you confess your sin. You, like you don't wait, you don't pass go, you, you blew it, you say, oh, Jesus, I did it again. I mean, you don't, you don't hesitate, you go right to him. 
And that's how you start over. And here's, where, here's how you know you can do that. 1 John 1, 9 tells us this. But if we confess our sins, he, he is, watch this, he's faithful and just to what? Say it with me. Forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, the, the Christian who knows how to start over, they are totally confident that God will forgive them if they confess their sins. Now, what does confession look like? Does it mean, Jesus, I'm sorry? Is that what confession looks like? No. Confession involves three things. You might want to write these three things down. They're not on the screen here. Number one, you're naming the sin. Jesus, I lied. Yes, it's a lie. <laughs> I, I cheated. I, I, I lusted. I, got, I lost my temper. And you name the sin. When you confess your sins, like you would to a priest if you're a Catholic, you tell them what the sin was. You tell it to Jesus. You say, Jesus, here's what I did. And then the part number two is you take God's position on it. You take his side. You say, Jesus, I lied and it was wrong. It was all kinds of evil and wrong. <laughs> and, and, and I agree with you on it. And it's terrible. And I'm not going to make excuses. I'm not going to pull an Adam and Eve. Well, she made me do it. Well, the devil made me do it. <laughs> We're so good at that, aren't we? This blame shifting and making excuses. Well, here's why I did that. Here's why I stole. The boss is mean or whatever. You know, the company was unjust, so I felt justified doing this or that. Whatever. No, it was wrong, and I agree with you. So I name it. I take God's position on it. And then number three, I forsake it. I say, I'm done with that. I'm dead to sin. That's not part of my life as a child of God. That's not part of my new, my new direction. I'm going to forsake that sin. That's what confession look like, looks like. So a Christian who knows how to start over understands that they can go back every single time and get forgiveness. You say, man, that's awesome. Yes, it is, if you do it. Now, here, here's, here's a person who helped me really understand what this looks like. It was C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity. I want you to read this quote with me because this changed my life. It brought 1 John 1, 9 to light for me. Listen to what Lewis says here. After each failure, ask forgiveness. Simple enough, right? Pick yourself up. Okay, get that. And try again. And here's the key. Try again. Why? Because very often what God first helps us towards is not the virtue, not the virtue, not the integrity, not the honesty, not the courage, not the faith, not that we shouldn't strive for virtues. Absolutely we should strive. But first and foremost, it's not the virtue that God is trying to get us to. What is he trying to get us to? It's not the virtue, but rather the power of always trying again. Change my life. I was going for the virtue. I was, going, I was getting discouraged. I was getting down. Well, I'm not a man of truth, and I'm not a man of purity, and I'm not a man of courage, and I'm not a man of faith, and I would get so down and so discouraged. Listen, I could cry right now because I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to be all of those things, right? I'm supposed to have this gigantic faith and be a person of prayer and integrity, right? And God says, now listen, listen, listen. I understand that. You need to go for the virtues. Absolutely go for the virtues. But first, 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 I need to teach you how to get up and try again, change my life. And what I started to realize is that without this strength of always trying again, you don't get anywhere. Like your kids won't ever learn how to ride a bike if they don't have the power of trying again. You would never learn the guitar or the piano or a jump shot or, or Spanish or, other, or anything if you didn't have this power of always trying again. And you get up and 1 John 1, 9 tells us we can do that all day. Now, some of you are gonna say, yeah, but doesn't that produce a Christian who'll abuse grace? I can go out and live like the devil, come back, be a vampire Christian, right? Maybe. But if you truly understand what's going on with forgiveness, if we go back to 1 John 1, 9, you'll stop. Watch. You won't abuse grace because not only does he forgive us, but he cleanses us. He cleanses us. What does that mean? If I have, if I have a child and he keeps jumping in the mud puddle that I told him not to jump in in the backyard, and he keeps doing it and doing it, and I have to every time clean him up and throw his clothes out, and he gets all mud in the house, and every time he sees the anguish on me and the pain he's causing me. Anybody have any kids? Anyway. Uh, <laughs> And I say, okay, you did it, I forgive you, but don't do it tomorrow. And then he does it again, and i got to go through this whole rigmarole, throw his clothes out and clean the house up, clean him up. After a while, he, my son, my child's going to look at me and say, you know what, I'm really causing dad some grief. And he is. It's like that with God. After a while, we understand that, that our sin is grieving him, and he's having to cleanse us every single time. Why would you jump back in the mud? Over time, you stop, and you stop abusing grace. You stop abusing grace. 
that you don't go back in the mud. You with me? So the Christian who knows how to start over, oh, they, they, they know how to live in grace. As soon as they sin, they go back. Number two, watch this. They understand that their value, they understand that their approval does not come from their performance. We are set up to fail with this one. See, in our, in our world today, it starts from birth. You know, if you perform well as a child in your home with your parents, you get praised, you get rewarded, you get lifted up. Then you go to school, same idea. You do well in school, you get the A's, you know, you get promoted into the honors and all this stuff. Then you go into sports. If, you, if you're good, if you're fast, if you're quick, if you can hit, if you can throw, if you can shoot, what about you get promoted, you get put in the A team, then you go to college, same idea. You get scholarships if you perform well. Then you go into the world, the business world, and if you perform well, you get, you know, scholarships, all these different things, and the businesses. And, and then we think, well, this is a performance-based world. And it is a performance-based world. You get approved and, 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 and lifted up if you perform well. And so what we do is we take that same idea and we put it onto God. We project that same economy onto God. And we think, well, it must work the same way with him. If I perform well, if I'm a really good Christian, if I tell the truth, if I'm honest, if I obey the Ten Commandments, then God must think well of me and he'll promote me. And that's a lie. That's a lie. You know what the truth is? The truth is this. God's approval of you is not based on, is based on what Christ did, not on what you do. And this is going to take some of you about a year to get. Because this took me a long time. Because we have been trained to think that God will love me if I'm a good person. If I obey, if I'm right, if, I, if I'm a good little boy and I'm a good little girl, then God will approve of me. It's not true. God's approval for you is based on the cross. It's based on what Christ did for you. When he looks down from heaven, he sees you through Christ. You are in Christ. One of the greatest truths in the entire Bible is Romans chapter 8, verse 1. You ready for this? Watch this. Ready? So now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Look at somebody real quick and tell them no condemnation. Real quick. Go ahead. Ready? No condemnation. There's no condemnation. If you are in Christ, if you have a relationship with Christ, come on, this is a lot of fun. This is good stuff. This is life-transforming truth here. If you're in Jesus, God will never condemn you. What does that mean? It means that he will never look at you and say, enough of you. Out you go. You're out of the family. That's one too many times. Their grace is out. I condemn you. You're no longer with me. No, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Can God the Father condemn Jesus Christ? Can God the Father condemn Jesus Christ? No way. You are in Christ. Therefore, God cannot condemn you. And God's approval for you is not based on your performance. It's based on what Christ has done for you. Does that make sense? And so, and so what does that do for the Christ follower who, who messes up, who sins, right? Cheats, steals, has an affair, blah, 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 robs a bank. What does that do? You know what, you know what, that, you know what, that, you know what it does? Watch this. It says, well, I can go back because God is not ticked off at me. God is not ready to kick me out. God is a father on the porch waiting for his son to come home and to kill the fattened calf and to put a ring on my finger and shoes on my feet and he's going to cry and he's going to kiss me. That is God the Father. There's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. And so the Christ follower who knows how to start over, they, he gets that, she gets that. Let's talk about the third one real quick. Watch this. The Christ follower who knows how to start over recognizes that all progress all progress is a gift of grace. What am I talking about? I'm talking about growth in patience, growth in integrity, growth in the ability to be content and stop chasing money or material possessions, and growth in, in insecurity, growth over worry and fear and anxiety. All growth, all Christ-like growth is a gift. It is not earned by you. It is a gift. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 15, verse 5. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. Watch this. But apart from me, they can do how, how much? Nothing. The Christ follower knows that when, when he has fallen into sin, when she has fallen into sin, here's what they know in their mind and heart. Well, I got disconnected from the vine. The sap that was running through the trunk into the vine was disconnected, no power. And when I get disconnected from the vine, and when you get disconnected from the vine, you're going to steal and cheat and lie and covet and worry and be passive-aggressive and prideful, just like an unbeliever. All progress is a gift. See, I'm going to say something that's not popular. Nobody's going to say amen to this one. Ready? <laughs> you need to get over yourself. Some of you are shocked when you sin. Oh, I can't believe it. I sinned again. Oh, what did you think you were going to do apart from Jesus? Live righteously? Really? Because that's how it works. Because Christianity is a self-help program. A <laughs> couple Bible verses, you know, do this, do that, and, you know, 
be a good Christian. Really? That's pride. That's pride. If you get down and discouraged because you sin a lot, that's pride. That's not humility. You need to get over yourself and realize that, look, when I sin, when I blow it, I, I just got disconnected from the vine. I'm, I, what I need to do is reconnect with Jesus. So here's, here's how this helps a Christ follower start over again really good. They just know, where am I going to go? I got to go back to the vine. And so instead of running away, instead of living defeated, instead of faking it, instead of abusing grace, they run back to Jesus and they say, hey, can we hook back up? Because I need some of the juice back, right? See, apart from you, I can do nothing. C.S. Lewis said it like this in his fabulous book, Mere Christianity. After the first few steps in the Christian life, we realize that everything which really needs to be done in our souls can only be done by God himself. The work is done by God. Now, this does not make us passive, this does not allow us to go to the, on the couch and sit down and say, okay, Jesus, could you zap me some purity? Can you zap me some courage? Can you zap me some integrity? And how about some peace? I'd like some joy. You know, order up. You know, Jesus, come on, deliver it down. I'm just going to sit here and do nothing. No, 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 no. This doesn't make us passive. I love what Dallas Willard said. He said, grace, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Grace doesn't say you don't have to work. You have to work. The Bible says work out your salvation with fear and trembling. If you want to produce some fruit, you have to work. What am I saying? you got to get in the scriptures. you got to spend time in prayer, silence, solitude. You have to mess with some fasting. You have to worship. You have to meditate. That's going to take some work and some time. But all that does is put you in position to receive the grace of God. You're not earning his favor. You're just positioning yourself to catch some of his grace. Some of, the, some of the sweetest times of growth in my life have, when, have been when I'm alone for a day and a half or two days in a monastery. I swear, sometimes I go to a, a, a Catholic monastery. A bunch of monks walking around. It's quiet. Nobody's there. But me and Jesus. And he works on me. See, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning so it's not passive. We get involved here. So what have I said today? We're going to baptize some folks. What have I said? Here's what I've said. The reality is, if you want to start over, you, as soon as you sin, you go back to him. You have to understand his approval for you is not based. It's not based on your performance, but on what Christ did. And any progress that you make in this life is a gift of grace. So my challenge today is real simple. It's to start over. It's to start over. That's, everybody in the room can do that. If you're a Christ follower, during these baptisms right here, this is a perfect time for you to see what it looks like. It's a symbol of starting over. When somebody goes down under the water, they're saying, I'm dying in my old way of life. I'm being washed of my sins symbolically. I'm coming up. I'm a new person. I'm starting over with God. So I want you to confess your sins during this time. Not out loud. That'd be weird. But confess your sins to God and start over right now. Now, for some of you, you don't need to start over. You just need to start. You need to start a relationship with God. And after the baptisms, I'm going to come back up here and lead you through a process and a prayer of how you can start a relationship with God. Hey, if you could, if you could remain standing with me really quick. If you'd like to put your faith in Jesus Christ today, all that simply means is that you're starting a relationship with him. You're saying to him, I, I know that I'm a sinner. I've broken your laws. I need, I need you to forgive me. Baptism is a perfect picture of that. Going under the water is symbolic of his forgiveness. Coming up out of the water is a picture of, of new life. You're not joining a church. You're not saying, hey, I'm going to be a member of Emmanuel. No, it's not what you're doing. You're saying, I'm going to be a child of God by putting my faith in Jesus Christ. If you'd like to do that right now, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your head and just pray this simple prayer. It's really an expression of your faith. The Bible says it's, it's by faith that we're saved. And so just say this to him right now by faith. If you feel like you need to become a child of God right now in this moment, say, dear Jesus, just, to, just speak to him right now. I ask you to come into my life and make me your child. I confess my sins. I turn from them. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to be the Lord of my life. I believe you died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins. I'm trusting you for forgiveness. And from this day forward, Jesus, give me the strength and the grace that I need to live my life for you. Help me to honor your name. 
from every day forward. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Hey, listen, if you just put your faith in Christ, I want to put a Bible in your hands. Our church wants to put a Bible in your hands. And here's why. Because we believe with all of our hearts that the Bible is inspired by God. And that when, when people wrote this book, they were writing the very words of God. You might say, well, I already have a Bible. And that's cool. Uh, you know, you might have a Bible at your house, but we want to put one of these in your hands because it's a, it's a, it's a specific one-year plan. It's broken down into little five-minute readings. I read these same passages every single day. And so in the back to my right and to my left, there's tables back there. If you're at Banta, in the back to your right and to your left, there's tables if you're in the balcony. If you pray to receive Christ today, we'd like to put one of these in your hands as a gift uh, to you from us. So let's give God a hand for what he's done today. Very exciting. It is an absolute privilege and joy to stand before you as your pastor and talk about these ideas and see God change many, many people's lives. So if you prayed to receive Christ today, please go back and grab one of those Bibles and uh, let's pray and we'll get out of here. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the lives that are being changed. Thank you for those who put their faith in your son tonight. Thank you for the Christians, the Christ followers who confess their sins tonight during the baptism and chose to start over with you. Instead of drifting away, instead of faking it, instead of living defeated, instead of abusing grace, they're choosing to start over with you. I pray that they would continue in that path tomorrow and the next day and the next day and learn to walk with you in grace. We love you so much. Thank you for the, for the depth and the beauty and the ama- the, the, of your grace, the amazing grace that you showed to us through Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week for week number four of Start. You're not going to want to miss it. Bring a friend.